the Spectator's prestigious Economic Innovator of the Year Award in partnership with Investec and now in their sixth year. Wherever you're based in the UK, we can't wait to hear about the success of your business and the impact you're making on the economy and society in 2023. Applications are now open and will close June 16th. To learn more and apply, please visit spectator.co.uk forward slash innovator. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damian Thompson. I'm sure that some of you, like me, are feeling rather bereaved this week because we've just watched the last ever episode of Succession, the sharply scripted, exquisitely acted and expertly paced HBO series about a monstrous octogenarian media mogul, Logan Roy, played by Brian Cox, who loves watching his children jockeying for position and stabbing each other in the back as they prepare for his death and position themselves to inherit his enormous media empire, which he's promised to all three of the children by his second marriage. And it got me thinking in a rather frivolous way about the real-life series of succession that's been playing in the Vatican for at least the last two years. Again, we're talking about a power-obsessed octogenarian who positively enjoys winding people up playing cat-and-mouse games with his opponents and his admirers in the full knowledge that the organisation he heads is entering extremely perilous waters. I don't want to make too much of this. After all, Logan Roy is a fictional character and Pope Francis isn't, alas. But some of the similarities between the two men are very striking. Logan and Francis both exhibit that mixture of sentimentality and cruelty that's characteristic of a certain sort of charismatic leader. They have very strong political instincts, opposing political instincts. Logan Roy is very right-wing, Francis is basically very left-wing, but everything is subordinated in the end to the exigencies of power, and they prize nothing more than unpredictability and the sheer joy of pulling the rug from underneath people when they least expect it. Now, I'm not going to give away what happens in the last episode of Succession, but let's just say that it reminded me of the old Vatican saying that he who enters a conclave, a pope, leaves it a cardinal. The entire series, all four seasons of Succession, have been in conclave mode because in the very first episode we see Logan Roy suffering a terrible stroke, which means that there is no time to lose for each of the contenders to his throne. Their job is to win his favour. And, like Francis, he greatly enjoys keeping people on their toes. But one of the differences, obviously, apart from the whole fictional real-life thing, is that you don't succeed a pope by becoming his designated successor, if anything that might work against you. And whereas in succession we knew that the three offspring, Kendall, and Roman, were each sneakily trying to inherit the empire, in the Vatican it's very different. For one thing, of course, we have no idea how many seasons the Vatican succession still has to run. At one point, it seemed that the scriptwriters had decided that the elderly, charming, heartless octogenarian protagonist was on his way out. That's when the Pope was taken into hospital a couple of years ago. But, as was the case with John Paul II, people who predicted his demise have, in some cases, found themselves six feet under while he is still travelling around 
very clearly, unlike John Paul II, in full possession of his marbles, and more capricious and mischievous than ever. It's always difficult to say who the front-runners are to succeed a particular pope, and journalists waste an enormous amount of time speculating. They have to, really, to fill up space. I've done it myself, but they rarely get it right. Benedict was perhaps a rare exception, and I suppose Paul VI was predictable, but John Paul I, John Paul II, and Francis were not on the short lists for the conclaves at which they were elected. And there was an interesting article, I think, in The Pillar recently, pointing out that a number of the taller poppies have apparently had their heads lopped off in recent months. We've seen Cardinal Zuppi of Bologna, a centre-left candidate who seemed very close to Francis, ferociously attacked by traditionalists for apparently condoning a gay blessing in his diocese but also disowned by Francis's own people because of his fondness for the old liturgy. Extraordinary how that really has become an obsession with the, I think, dwindling band of Francis loyalists. They simply cannot bear the idea that the old liturgy is appealing to ever larger numbers of young people, which, unfortunately for them, is the case. Then there was Cardinal Tagle of the Philippines, promoted to a big job in the Vatican, but apparently now out of favour with the Pope, and I think somewhat tarnished by his enthusiasm for the notorious deal with China, of which more later, he being half Chinese and very enthusiastic about something that's generally regarded as an utter diplomatic disaster. The Conservatives, the traditionalists particularly, would have liked Cardinal Sara, I think, as their candidate, but he's too old now and he's too controversial, and their candidate would appear to be Cardinal Erdo of Hungary, who we saw being very nastily attacked by one of Francis's journalistic poodles the other day. But the chances are that it will be none of the above. If the odds were decided by how badly somebody wanted the job, then I think the front-runner would be Arthur Roach, the Yorkshire-born head of the Dicastery for Divine Worship. But the cruelty with which he's implemented Francis's anti-Tridentine reform, so-called, hasn't won him many friends, and short of employing Tonya Harding-style tactics against his opponents, I don't think that any real danger of Uncle Arthur stepping out onto the balcony of St Peter's. It's much easier to talk about the crisis, the nightmare problems that the new head of the Catholic Church will face whether in a few months or a few years, we don't know. And I call them nightmares because, unlike in HBO's succession, there's no prospect of somebody from outside coming in and just taking over the whole organisation and renovating it. The new Pope will have to work with existing structures, and since those structures are collapsing and in very, very poor shape, it's a job that quite a few papabili cardinals may genuinely not want. We assume that Every cardinal wants to become a pope, but it's not actually true. So I've identified what I think are the five nightmares facing the next pope. Let me try and run through them as briefly as possible. Nightmare number one, the bogus synod. Popes routinely call synods of bishops to advise them on particular matters. The subject of this year's synod and next year's synod will be synodality. So the bishops will be advising him on not just matters of church governance, but what changes the, quotes people of God in the laity wish to see enacted in the church. Now, that's messy enough, but as it turns out, the whole process has been hijacked by a lobby of really quite far-left Catholic activists who entirely dominated the consultation process of a tiny, tiny proportion of the world's Catholic laity. 
which will form the basis of discussions in Rome in which lay activists, including for the first time women, will have voting rights. Voting rights in a synod of bishops that is not supposed to be a legislative body. It's all very confusing, and there's really no sign that the Pope understands the process himself. The people who do understand it are the ultra-radicals of the German church who've used this as an excuse basically to do a Henry VIII on him and turn themselves into an independent, quasi-Catholic Protestant church. We just don't know how it's going to play out. We do know that lots of the world's bishops have grave reservations about it, but being, I'm afraid, naturally cowardly, have decided to keep quiet. Nightmare number two the patently cruel and authoritarian crackdown on the celebration of Latin Mass that was explicitly permitted by Pope Benedict XVI, whose signature teaching on the hermeneutic of continuity between the pre- and post-Vatican II churches has been torn up and replaced instead with rather sinister rulings from Arthur Roach, the head of the Dicastery for Divine Worship. It's created extraordinary ill-feeling throughout the church, It's undermining the authority of bishops who otherwise don't have any sympathy for Latin mass Catholics. It's antagonised the only fast-growing group of Catholics in the entire church, younger adherents of the traditional Latin mass. And it's almost as if the Catholic church is engaged in a witch hunt against its own traditions. The next pope cannot allow the current situation to continue. Nightmare number three is China. In 2018, the Vatican signed a secret deal with Beijing, which handed Beijing the authority to nominate bishops, who would then be officially appointed by the Pope, as a result of which, in theory, the party-dominated official communist Catholic Church would be reunited with the papal loyalists of the underground church. But it hasn't worked out like that at all. The Vatican thought that the Pope was going to be consulted on appointments Recently, a new bishop of Shanghai was appointed without any pretense of consultation by the Chinese Communist Party. And so what Francis has basically done is enabled the further development of a quasi-Christian, syncretic, mock Catholic church in China. And his blunder, and that of his Secretary of State, Cardinal Parolin, who's definitely ruled out as a future pope as a result, is being exploited absolutely gleefully by the Chinese Communist Party. It's an outrageous and unprecedented betrayal of Catholics by their own leader and the failure of the world's bishops to speak up for persecuted Catholic Christians in China is nothing short of a disgrace. Nightmare number four is the abuse crisis, something which continues to dog the Catholic Church despite a succession of, quote, radical safeguarding measures announced by the Vatican and other church bodies. Jaw-dropping scandals involving American bishops, among others, remain unaddressed by the Vatican as we speak, and one of the reasons I think the church authorities are powerless to act is that, as I have discussed on this podcast many times, Pope Francis himself is implicated in a series of very disturbing cover-ups involving his allies, most of them fellow Latin Americans. The Catholic media aren't interested. The secular media aren't interested. The truth will only come to light, I suspect, if the next Pope is sufficiently courageous to confront the evidence relating to his predecessor. Finally, nightmare number five is a consequence of all the other nightmares. It's the future demographic decline, evisceration of the Catholic Church in the Americas and in Europe, the very parts of the Church that keep the show on the road financially. 
this isn't something that can be blamed on this pope, and it's certainly not a problem that's confined to Catholicism. The shrinking of organised religion in the West is to an extent a foregone conclusion. It's one of the subjects that Pope Benedict XVI addressed very effectively when he emphasised the importance of the cultural recovery of the sacred by the Catholic Church, a smaller church, but one which is able to draw on culturally distinctive teachings and worship that still, and perhaps now more than ever, hold an appeal for 21st century Christians. What we've seen over the last 10 years is the progressive dismantling of that culture, the chipping away at the magisterium to the point where I think it's a reasonable question to ask whether the magisterium even exists. The Pope nods vaguely in its direction from time to time, but most of the things he says serve to undermine it. And there is a huge body of sociological research relating to many different religions, suggesting that that's a massive miscalculation. Just look at the wretched consequences for the Church of England of embracing a culture of bureaucratic secularism. And yet, actually, I don't think that anything the CV has done is quite as deplorable as the mendacity and mean-spiritedness that we've seen coming from the very top of the Catholic Church. And it's the meanness, the meanness, for example, of the crushing of the traditional mass that reminded me of a penultimate episode of Succession. Let me end by quoting the wildly inappropriate but undoubtedly true remarks that Logan Roy's elder brother Ewan makes at his funeral. He stands up and says, He was mean and he made but a mean estimation of the world. And he fed a kind of meagerness in men. Perhaps he had to because he had a meagerness about him. And maybe I do about me too. I don't know. I try. I try. I don't know when, but sometime he decided not to try any more. And it was a terrible shame.